If you could turn in your Bibles to our text, uh, we're going to be going to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, If you could turn to Matthew chapter 2. Let us reverently attend to the public. Oh, I'm supposed to, by the way, announce the poinsettias. We forgot to announce them last week and forgot to announce them this week, but we haven't forgotten the whole time. Uh, If you would like to have a poinsettia in in honor of someone, please be sure to fill that card out today. I believe we'll be bringing them in uh, next week. Uh, But if you could turn to the Bible, to Matthew chapter 2, we're in the New Testament this week on our journey through the Holy Land. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the first five verses, but I'd like you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible words as they were given to us in the originals. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you will give us insight into this familiar text. I pray that you might show us some things that maybe we had not seen before. But more importantly, I pray that you might help us to see what they saw when they came and they found the Christ. I pray that everyone in this room will find the Christ who will meet with Jesus, the King of Kings. And as I ask in Christ's name, amen. If you're following along with me today, we're going to be looking through this interesting story following the Advent theme of the wise men. And when you look at this particular passage, uh, it's just one of the five. And I was putting them all with S's, so if you're following, you would know that there are the seers, the seraphs, the shepherds, the sages, and the savior. And those five narratives, uh, which may be easy to remember with the S's, maybe not, uh, but today we're looking at the sages, the wise men, the magi, as Matthew calls them in the Greek language. The narrative seems, the narrative of the magi seems to me to be one of the most unusual. In fact, Luke doesn't even cover it. You know, when you go through the scriptures, you're going to find that Mark doesn't even talk about the wise men. And when you read it in Matthew's account, you'd feel like it was earth-shaking. There was catastrophic events. There was weeping among all the inhabitants of Bethlehem. But none of the other Gospels even give us a hint. We may not know how many wise men actually made the journey. We may not understand a lot of the details about it. But we do know some things. And I pray that through those things that we do know, that we will glean a greater grasp of the Savior. And when you look at this, I found it kind of interesting that it's from there to here. Those are the two points today, from there to here. Last week, I took you up north in Israel to the little town of... Now, I know all of you know where this is, right? 
Okay, this little picture above us, if we were walking there today, you'd be in Nazareth. Uh, This is the church that they built real close to where the well is, where Mary, no doubt, pulled the water up from, from the Nazareth well. Uh, It's real close to this area. We're going to leave Nazareth today, and we're going to take a journey. We're going to make a a journey that's going to bring us to the final destination in Jerusalem. And so if you look at the Golden Gate behind me, it's the eastern gate of Jerusalem. We're going to get to Jerusalem today. So buckle up and let's go. Uh, And when we look at this journey, if we were to join with the wise men, this is where we would end up. We would be looking at some kind of a scene like this, although in that particular picture... If you're, uh, if you're focused, you know what you're going to see? There's not an open door. Okay, the, uh, the door is not open there. That's, uh, that's all bricked up. Uh, they don't want people to go through that eastern wall anymore. Uh, but when the wise men came, they might have gone through that. That was many, many years ago. Now, so the two points of the sermon are from there to here. So we're going to end up in Jerusalem. So that's going to be the second point. The first point is there. Now, where is there? If we look at the passage in chapter 2 of Matthew, I want to take you to where the wise men were. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. Okay, so we know that they are from the east. So if we could look at the map, but it's going to show up behind me, you're going to be able to see this whole big known world back in the day. It might be in one of the back pictures of your Bible or if in Bible software. If you're looking at that particular map, you're going to see the Mediterranean Sea here. You're going to see the Arabian Peninsula down here, and you've got Turkey up there. So when you get to this small little area, you can see Jerusalem where we're going to end up, and these lines... This is Babylon, and if you go further, you've got uh, Susha, and you go out further into Persia. If you take this line down, you pass Petra, which is that city down in the valley, the rock city, and you can go all the way down past Mecca and even further south. Now, that particular map I pulled out of one of the Bible softwares to tell you that nobody knows where the east is. They just know it's that way, okay? Now, therefore, I wanted to pick a place to be able to help you to know where they came from, and I picked the area of Babylon. So when you look a little closer uh, in the next map, if you bring up, you'll be able to see that this journey to Babylon, from, uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem, is quite an interesting, interesting journey. Now, when you look at that particular one, it, it, you can see Babylon with this little flag, and you can see the Fertile Crescent, because this is the Mesopotamia area between the two big rivers, and then you come up all the way around, because you stay out of this area. I think ISIS works there. Now, actually, uh, the point is, is it's a desert, and if you don't have air conditioning, you're not going to do very well through that area. So they always would follow up this path near the river, and then cut through here and come on down to this area closer to the Mediterranean, which is the Holy Land. It's the place that God chose to speak, to do, to accomplish, to pay for our sins. Now, so with me, if you're traveling with me right now, I want to be able to take you from there to here. I want you to go from the east and come to the west. So we're going to start out there, and and you're going to say, so what, pastor? What does it matter? Now, if you have a picture of Babylon in your mind, some of you might have this image of what made it one of the seven wonders of the world. What was, what was in Babylon? Those hanging gardens. They had some neat things. This is an artist's sketch because they're not there now. 
Uh, obviously, some of you that have maybe served in the military, you might have been near Babylon. Uh, you're going to not, it doesn't look so pretty. Okay, but it's still out there. It's still an area. It's not too far even from Nineveh and all those kind of things. Now, I wanted you to be able to, to, to come with me for a moment. And if you're out in the east, why would you make the journey to Jerusalem? Just think about it. I've asked a few of you to go from here over to there. You know, we're going to be over in Israel, uh, but, but that's a long journey. What would make you even go on that trip? You're interested? You're inquisitive? What makes anybody do anything these days? Well, if you're bored, if you have money to spare, if you have time on your hands, maybe you're recruiting for a job over there, or maybe you're traveling because you've got relatives. But most, what, make, what makes people go? Okay, now I want you to be able, yeah, some history. Now I want you to be able to know that in the wise men's sake, it is an interesting journey, but it's a round trip. And I want you to know that there, this is not the only trip coming from the east to the west, from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem. And that's why I want to help take you on this journey with me today as we're going to understand a little bit more about why the wise men did it. The first journey that came from between the Mesopotamia area to Jerusalem was surprisingly found in Genesis chapter 12. Do you guys know who's the main character in Genesis 12? It's Abraham. And if you go to Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go from this country, from your kindred and your father's house, and to a land I will show you. And so he leaves from the land of Ur, which is not too far. It's a land of the east. He leaves that area to head all the way over to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem hasn't even been established yet. Jerusalem is just a bunch of hills, seven hills around there. Mount Moriah is one of them. And, and Abraham finally makes it there in Genesis 22. So you can see the big journey from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22. So I want you to know that the three wise men, that we think they're three, they weren't the first to make the journey. And why did Abraham make the journey? He was, he was tired of the government over there in, in Ur of the Chaldeans. No, when you understand God's economy, God is taking this guy from this area where there's a lot of wise people. How do I know there's a lot of wise people there? Because if you go to the book of Job, you're even going to find that Job was living as a contemporary of Abraham, and Job was one of the wisest men of the East, and he lived over there too. So it's really fascinating when you understand, as you can see in the text, this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. You see... God was interested in those people in the east. But he didn't leave them there. He called Abraham out of the east to come to the west. Because he was going to establish for himself a people. And they were not going to do all of God's salvific work over there in the middle east. Or shall I say between the Tigris and Euphrates. Which is the area of the Garden of Eden. He said it's not going to be over there that I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my work over here. In the east, Abraham went. Abraham was not the only one to make the journey, but he was the only one to make a non-round trip. And if you go to the next, you're going to find that Abraham made the journey because God called him. The next two people that made the journey back and forth, they were looking for women. And it was a good thing. They were looking for wives. 
Okay, because if you look, the next one is, is, uh, is Eliezer. Eliezer, in Genesis chapter 24, was Abraham's trusted servant. He was his right-hand man. And uh, my dad preached this passage at, at Tracy and my's, our, our wedding many years ago. But they were, Eliezer was, was commissioned by Abraham to find a bride for little Isaac. And if you read the text there, he said he had to go back to his home, to the country of Abraham, back to the east in order to find someone because they didn't want to intermarry with the sinners that were in the culture there in Israel, which wasn't named Israel yet. It was the land of Canaan. Wow. Eliezer mounted up his camels and made the journey all the way to the east. And when he made his journey back, let me tell you, he was a happy man. I found a pretty girl, and she's willing to come, and she's a righteous gal, and she is going to be my master's son's bride, Rebecca. Beautiful story. So we see the marriage, and it's a picture of, of, of how God was going to provide for the patriarchs. The next person that makes this big round-trip journey was this young guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob was not real comfortable back in the Canaan area. Why? Because he had some domestic violence with his brother. Uh, They had some, what we call dysfunctionalism. Their relationship wasn't what it should be. And so what you end up happening is Jacob found that it was a whole lot better to leave town, to leave Esau behind. And he made the journey from the east back to the west. He made the huge journey to find Laban. And he found a pretty girl named Rachel. He ended up marrying Rachel's sister, not so pretty, Leah, and then they ended up having lots of kids, and that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. But Jacob made his way back, and we talked about that before when he stopped in Shechem, and he got rid of Rachel's idols that she had brought from the east and got rid of them. Now, so I'm telling you this journey, the journey from, from Babylon, from the east to the, to, uh, to the west, to Jerusalem, it was by Abraham, because God told him. It was because they were looking for wives, and they were both successful. But the third one, do you know what the third journey was from? It was to be delivered from idolatry. The people of God had been caught up in idolatry, and God sent uh, a special bus to pick them up and take them back to Babylon. Do you catch my picture? This is the exile. You see, the journey from from Jerusalem to Babylon was a miserable one, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and a whole bunch of other people went as, as Nebuchadnezzar came in 605 and tore down the temple and basically decimated Jerusalem, and he took all the prime young leaders and took them back to the University of Babylon for 70 years. You can read, a, read about that in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, explains a lot of these details about that journey and about how when they got there, none of them really wanted to come back. Who would want to make that journey from Babylon back to Israel? And what's back in Israel to come and see? And so they stayed there for 70 years. And if you read the rest of the story, as you read about Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Ezra, they do come back. And they finally come back and build the wall at 404 BC, right before the 400 years of silence when Jesus finally shows up. Do you see these four journeys? But it took them to go to Babylon at that second time, that exile, in order for them to get rid of their idolatry. Because when they came back, never again did God's people want to set up those kind of idols like they did before. The journey from there to here. 
Now, that gives you a context that God has been interested in the East and the people of the East for some time. But now when they come to Jerusalem, what do you find? If you'll take your Bibles with me, I want to be able to show you what they found in Jerusalem. What did they find in Jerusalem? Uh, I found it kind of interesting that uh, when they got there, they found sovereign leadership. They found a King Herod who was wearing that crown and he was loving his ability. Jerusalem was the champion for culture. When the wise men showed up, they could find what a Jew really looked like. And they looked like a Pharisee and a scribe. When they got there, they also found scholarly influencers. They found people who were educated. They found the wise people of the Israel area. They were all huddled in Jerusalem. And you also find the scriptures. That was one thing I was really thrilled about this text. For when the wise men came, they were looking for the one who was born king. And where did the scholars and where did the sovereign king tell them to look? To the Holy Scriptures. Because, you know, the big temple was there in Jerusalem. Herod had built a great big temple. It was gorgeous. It was before the Dome of the Rock was put there in Jerusalem. And so they had the scrolls. They had all of that information. They had God's word at their fingertips. It didn't matter much to them until they started to search them. But it was exciting that that's what they found. They found the scriptures, even though they were not well known. And they also found some stress. You could say that it was the holidays and that's when stress comes. But they didn't have Christmas at this point in time. So when the wise men finally show up in Jerusalem, the individuals there end up being afraid. The sage's idea that there's another one born king did not bring peace. I think the words I was using, there was fear, terror, dread, anxiety, distress, fright, panic, trepidation, and apprehension. That kind of covers it. Do any of you have those kind of days? When it doesn't go the way you want it, and therefore you get full of anxiety and frustration, and that's what happened. But the one other thing that the wise men found in Jerusalem was directions. Yes, these men found directions. They were willing to ask. Man, it's a good thing for you to learn. You'll be a wise man if you ask for directions. So they were given directions to make the five-mile journey over to the little town of Bethlehem. So what did they not find in Jerusalem? I wanted to touch on this. They did not find a lot of faith in God in Jerusalem. This is the people, this is the place where the people of God would come and worship. And yet when the wise men came, they couldn't find a lot of of the people of God excited about God. There were not many people that were looking for the Messiah. At least it wasn't evident to them. Though they had the Bible, though they even had these missionaries come, there was not a warm reception for them. There was also no fairness. When, when you know honesty, when you listen to Herod and he, he hears these wise men come, you can read it in the rest of the story. Uh, he says, oh, so you think somebody is born king. Well, well, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, tell me more. Give me the details. And it's almost like he's trying to do that, uh, that investigation. You know, sit them in the room, close the door and get all the information you can get out of them. Shine the bright light on their face. Look through the uh, one-way window. This is what they're trying to do out of the wise men. And the wise men just simply tell the truth. We've seen his star in the east. We know the wisdom of God from the east. God has been telling us. I believe that Daniel had, had left some things behind for the Chaldeans to look forward to. And when the signs in the heavens appeared, they knew. They knew. And God had called them to come and worship the king. 
Now, think about this for a moment. So they don't find fairness because there's a scheming, there's a manipulation going on. And so the wise men are told that they can go to Bethlehem, but then they're supposed to come back and tell Herod about what they found. Why did Herod want to find out? It was a little different than he told them, wasn't it? He says, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. No, he wanted to come back and eliminate his competition. I'm not even sure that Herod really believed that there was a king, you know, but I didn't think, he didn't want to take any chances because this is a nasty sovereign when he ordered that all the babies should die that were under two years of age. And that's why the scripture says there was a weeping in that area, a weeping of Rachel, because these children had been slaughtered. It's just miserable, just like it was in the days when Moses was born. Now, I wanted to tell you that there were uh, some applications then. God had purposed that there should be a witness to the sages uh, of the East. And if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, uh, this is quoting from Galatians 3, 8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying that in you all the nations shall be blessed. It's interesting that Abraham's homeland is going to even be blessed. That the people of the east are going to be able to hear the gospel. God had communicated the the good news to these leaders, to these sages over the years. If you turn to Daniel chapter uh, 9, verses 25 and 26... You're also going to find that in that particular passage, the prophet Daniel, who is one of the people who made the journey, he left Jerusalem miserably and goes to Babylon. And it's there that he mentions that there is a command to rebuild Jerusalem, verse 25, which occurred about 444 BC, and the work was finally completed with Nehemiah. But there was going to be, in that prophecy of 70 weeks, there was going to be another 62 sets of seven, or 434 years, and then the anointed one would come and be cut off. Now, if you're a good mathematician, and some of those guys like Pythagoras and all those guys, they were from the East. They were some smart people. And I think they were able to do some of these calculations if they read their Bibles, if they could read the scriptures, and they calculated that it was about the time due when the anointed one would come, when the 69 weeks of of years were completed, the 490 years, and it was at that time that we believe Jesus entered in to Jerusalem, and the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the gospel is not only for the Jews. The gospel is for the people of the world. Does that make sense to you? Do you see how even the sages coming from afar, from the Orient, as, it would, as they might say, from Persia, from this area, they come and they say, we have come to worship him. Some people might ask, are they Christians? I sometimes would say that if you want to doubt the wise men were Christians, then I sometimes would say, you might look in the mirror and doubt yourself. How do you demonstrate people's faith? These guys made the two-year journey. They came just because they had heard the word of God, and they came to meet the Son of God. And when they met the Son of God, what did they do? Look at the text, and let's read that, if you would, in verse 2. Excuse me, when we see this. 
when they, uh, verse two, saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And in verse six, uh, they quote the Old Testament scripture. So in verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly and asserted and uh, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw that star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... Not the stables, but into a house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. They gave him what they had. Their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. God gave them faith to see the long-awaited Savior. God gave them faith to pursue it. To be able to leave their comforts and to sacrifice so much. And God gave them faith to worship. If you looked at a little baby, a little one-year-old, would you worship? Some of us would think that that's crazy to worship a baby. Although some parents almost worship their children. Some grandparents might accidentally do that too. But think about this. To recognize him as the one worthy. Worthy. I want to be able to ask you about the unexpected journey that, that we all have to take. The journey that we have to take is similar to that of Pilgrim's Progress. It's not from the east to the west, but it is a journey to the cross, which is outside of Jerusalem. It's making that unexpected journey where your heart comes to the cross, not just to the manger to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, but to the one who was hoisted up there who loved you this much. Have you made that unexpected journey to the cross? Have you understood that it is there at the cross that the burden of your heart is rolled away? Have you found that the one who died for you is worthy of all you have? As Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't just do it like they do in the east or the west, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, knowing the truth. This is the good journey. Have you made it? We're not going to this journey to find a wife. We're not going on this journey just because it's exciting. We want to go on this journey because we need Jesus. Those wise men, they needed a savior. And the reason we should be able to call them wise is because they found Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, Solomon said, Are you wise? Are you trusting the Lord? Our Heavenly Father, as we conclude this message today, I pray that you will help us to understand the bigger picture, that you are the king not only of the Jews, you are the king of kings and Lord of lords. Oh Lord, I pray that you might open our eyes up, that we might be able to recognize as Paul did in in Philippians chapter 2, Because Jesus was found in human form, he humbled himself, he became obedient even to the point of death, even that death on the cross, which is why we journey to the cross. 
But because of that, God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee one day will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to bow the knee even today, that we would bring our gold, our frankincense, and our myrrh, that we would bring ourselves Oh, Lord, I pray that we might come and worship Christ the Lord, the newborn King. In Jesus' name.